table and find grace and mercy in your time of need. If you are not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, then don't, don't come for the symbol. You need to deal first with the substance. Who is Jesus? That you would first have an encounter, a faith encounter with Jesus, whereby your trust is transferred to him. That's the most important thing. During the time of the Lord's Supper, that's a time for you to really do business with God. And at the close of our time today, as, as we celebrate the table, that's a time for you to, to place your faith and trust in Christ. So, I wanted to make you aware of those things before we begin today. What I want to talk to you today is about um, something called a tipping point. Some of you are familiar with it from Malcolm Gladwell's book, other other. Uh, of you are familiar with it just from your vocation. If you work in the medical field, you may be familiar with the idea of a tipping point. It's an, it's an epidemiological term or something like that. It has to do with disease. The way disease spreads is, is probably its main use, but it's, um, the idea of a tipping point has branched out um, into all kinds of sociological phenomenon. It is, a tipping point is a critical point in a value, in evolving situation that leads to a new and irreversible development. It originated in epidemiology um, when an infectious disease reaches a point beyond any local ability to control it from spreading more widely. A tipping point is another way to talk about a turning point. And Malcolm Gladwell did write a book uh, about tipping points, applying this medical idea to sociological phenomena. And he explains um, all kinds of things in his book, like why hush puppies became cool again. He said there was a tipping point. Okay, why Sesame Street is still around. Okay, there was a tipping point at some point in time, and he explains that through a, a number of laws, things that uh, he calls the law of the few and the stickiness factor and uh, the power of context. All those kind of things. He's trying to help us understand why things spread transformationally within a culture. And today I want to seize on that idea and help you think about Deuteronomy 30 as a spiritual tipping point in the life of the people of God as they were about to enter the promised land. Moses is about to unveil to them a strategy for transformation, for change, for for the initiation of this tipping point out of which um, they would be able to return to their God, should they, and they did, become wayward. So it's an invitation to the people of God to transformation. It is a very personal invitation to you today to embrace the mercy of God in a way that can change you there is today the very real possibility, an invitation to God, or from God to you in Deuteronomy 30, that you don't have to leave with the same baggage that you entered. This service, by the mercy of God and the word of God and the spirit of God, could be your tipping point. So this would be a really good sermon to stay awake in, right? Um, 
there are a couple of ingredients, just as uh, Gladwell um, analyzed some things and discovered some things sociologically about tipping points. There are a couple things in what Moses is saying in Deuteronomy 30 that I want to underscore for you that are essential for this kind of transformational, pivotal tipping moment in our lives. And so if you'll open your Bibles to Deuteronomy 30, I'd like to pray with you and ask God to meet with us now in his word. Father, every one of us came into this room with things we wish we had not brought. Words spoken, deeds done, thoughts cherished and embraced. They are our secrets many times, known only to you. And on our good days, Days like this, when we're, when we're thinking rightly, we hate these things. And how we wish we could be free from them. So we gather as your needy people and ask for the mercy of the word by the Spirit to be brought to us so that we can be free to live the life you offer and call us to. So God, I pray for each one, the ones who came in today burdened beyond their ability to bear, that your mercy would be specifically for them today. Pray out really for us all then. We ask this in Christ's great name. Amen. All right, let's start in Deuteronomy, back in Deuteronomy 29, actually. Flip your page back one. And Jeff led us through this last week. So this is kind of the setting. The back end of 29 really sets the stage for what Moses is about to do in 30, of course. Makes sense. Starting in verse 18, there's this really sober warning. Beware, lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit, one who, when he hears the words of the sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man. And the curses written in the book will settle upon him, and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. The Lord will single him out from all the tribes of Israel for calamity in accordance with all the curses of the covenant written in the book of the law. And the next generation, your children who rise up after you, and the foreigner who comes from a far land will say, when they see the afflictions of that land and the sicknesses with which the Lord has made it sick, the whole land burned out with brimstone and salt, nothing sown and nothing growing, where no plant can sprout and overthrow like that of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and wrath. All the nations will say, why has the Lord done thus to his land? What caused the heat of this great anger? And then people will say, it is because 
they abandoned the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt and went and served other gods and worshiped them, gods whom they had not known and whom he had not allotted to them. So you, you get the picture of what, what has happened here, what Moses is envisioning. If they depart from the covenant, the promised land, the land of plenty, the land of milk and honey, right? It's going to be barren. It's going to be burned out. Nothing sown, nothing harvested, nothing grown. What, what happened? How did the land of promise become the land burned out? Where the nations stop and stare and say, why has the Lord done this? What caused the heat of his great anger? That last, last verse down there tells us they turned away. They abandoned the covenant of the Lord. They didn't, but they didn't just abandon the Lord in doing that. They, they abandoned the Lord and they turned to other gods. That seems to be an inevitable companion. To turn away from God is to turn to idols. There doesn't seem to be any just kind of turning away. There's always a turning to. Um, and if there's one thing we've seen about God in Deuteronomy is that he is a jealous lover in the best of senses. Where jealousy is virtuous in this matter. He is fiercely monogamous, okay? He will not suffer other lovers for his people. Um, there's a, a TV show, which I have never seen, called Big Love. You heard of Big Love? It's, uh, it's the craziest thing. Um, it aired on HBO um, for about five years. It's about a fictional, fundamentalist Mormon family in Utah that practices polygamy. And uh, they researched this show for about three years. And their goal was uh, to represent the intent of creating a fair portrayal of polygamy in America without being judgmental. That's, that's the idea behind big love. Just take it or leave it. Big love. Um, by the starkest of contrasts, spiritually speaking, God is ferociously judgmental of polygamy in your spiritual life. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you are wed to one God. He is tolerates no others. And Deuteronomy just hammers us with this idea of faithful love to God. Um, you shall have no other gods before me. Right? The first commandment. Chapter 6, you shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Happens again in chapter 8. Says it again in chapter 11. Chapter 13, most memorably. 
If your brother, the son of your mother, or your son, or your daughter, or the wife you embrace, or your friend who is as your own soul, entices you secretly saying, let us go and serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known. Some of the gods of the peoples who are around you, whether near you or far off from you, from the one end of the earth to the other, you shall not yield to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him, nor shall you conceal him, but you shall kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. Don't you get the idea, right? Yahweh tolerates no other gods amongst his people. They are to have no place in our hearts. He won't share us with another. Now, the reality is, though, the shape of the idols are different. Um, we've all been unfaithful, haven't we? There's not a person in this room that hasn't been unfaithful to God at some level, in some way. And some of you, listen to me read from Deuteronomy 29 about this guy that's beyond hope, it seems like. It says, God will not forgive him. Verse 20, the, the Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man. Curses are going to come on him. Some of you look in the mirror and you think, you know, that's me. I have been wayward for so long that there's no hope for me. I'm that guy. I'm the one beyond the reach of the mercy of God. This, you think, is your, your lot in life. It's your future. You feel like you've wandered too far. There really isn't enough mercy for someone like you. Or you feel like you've been mired in that one habitual sin, that one dark character flaw, just too long. Now it defines you. It's who you've always been, who you're always going to be. You're always going to be the angry guy, the warrior, the one enslaved to lust, the one addicted to whatever numbs the pain. But today, today is your tipping point. God is extending to you a grace greater than all your sin. Deuteronomy 30 is your hope. Look, look closely at it with me, starting in verse 1. Moses says, and when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today with all your heart, with all your soul. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortune and have mercy on you. Moses is envisioning the day 
This is even before they enter the land, right? They aren't even in the land yet. He's envisioning a day when they're going to be so unfaithful, they're going to be driven out of the land. Right? He can see that in the hearts of these people. And he envisions a time, a tipping point in that day when they have been banished, scattered by God in judgment to, to other lands. They aren't even in their land anymore. He envisions a day when, when the scale tips and they realize, you know, they don't want to live life like this anymore. They don't want to live life apart from God anymore. They want to find their way back. They want to be restored to the God who still loves them who still has abundant mercy, even for them, even in a distant land. This could be you today. This could be your day. Your presence here in this room could be your tipping point. Just as we read it, it will be for them. So here's, here's the first thing you have to realize if you're going to have a spiritual tipping point. No matter where you are, you are not beyond the mercy of God. No matter how long you've fallen back into that same pit, you've fallen back into the same pit, you are not beyond the mercy of God. Evident in the next few verses, I, I love the language of this. He will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it, and he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. He'll gather you again. From all the peoples where you've been scattered, even to the uttermost parts of the earth, he'll gather you back, back into his blessing, back into his favor, back into the life he has for you. Now, it's interesting in verse 3 that it was the Lord your God who scattered you. It's as though it took that for them to have their tipping point, to be brought to the point where they realized this is not what I want to live. This is not the life I've always wanted. This is not where I, where I want to go. It took that, it seems. It's kind of, it reminds me of this fabulous story in Daniel chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar, you're probably familiar with the story. If not, later on, open up your Bibles to Daniel 4. It's a fabulous story. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar is walking on his patio thinking about how magnificent he is. Just being incredibly arrogant and prideful. And he is, he is judged by God on the spot, rendered insane, uh, lives outdoors, uh, acting very bovine, you know, grazing and things like that. He flips out as judgment. Then in verse 34, he has this tipping point. It says, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever at the same time. My reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and, it, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. And now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, 
For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Nowhere is too far for the mercy of God to reach you. So how far have you strayed? Not too far. Not too far. Not beyond the reach of his great mercy for his people. How many times have you stumbled back into that same pit? Not too many. Not beyond the reach of his great rescue for you. Um, Pastor Matt Chandler writes about a time he and a couple of friends invited a young woman named Kim to a, a Christian concert. Matt was hopeful that Kim would come to Christ that evening. However, what occurred he calls a train wreck. In retrospect, Matt was grateful for the experience because it changed the way he saw how to proclaim holiness in light of the cross of Jesus. This is what he writes. He says, the preacher took the stage <clears throat> and disaster ensued. He gave a lot of statistics about STDs. There was a lot of, you don't want syphilis, do you? His big illustration was to take out a single red rose, and he smelled the rose dramatically. He caressed its petals and talked about how beautiful this rose was and how it had been fresh cut that day. And then he threw the rose out into the crowd. He encouraged everyone to pass it around. And as he, as he neared the end of his message, he asked for the rose back. And by now it was broken and drooping, and the petals were falling off. And he held up the now ugly rose for all to see, and his big finish was this. Now, who in the world would want this? His word and his tone were merciless. His essential message, which was supposed to represent Jesus' message to a world of sinners, was this. Hey, don't be a dirty rose. Matt didn't hear from Kim for a few weeks until one day her mother called Matt to inform him that Kim had been in an accident. And Matt immediately went to visit her. And in the middle of their conversation, seemingly out of nowhere, she asked him, Do you think I'm a dirty rose? He says, my heart sank inside of me and I began to explain to her the whole weight of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus wants the rose. It's Jesus' desire to save, redeem, and restore the dirty rose. The hope of Deuteronomy 30 is that even when we have strayed to a distant land where God is not with us and we are not seeking him, we are not beyond the reach of his mercy, of his grace. Moses is telling, as I mentioned, the people about this. They haven't even got in the land yet. And he's telling them what to do when they get kicked out because he does not want them to face that day without hope. The key to a tipping point is hope that you're not beyond the mercy of God. You are not beyond the mercy of God this morning. Whatever you brought in here that you wish you didn't bring in here, that's within the great work of Christ on your behalf. One of the essential ingredients of a spiritual tipping point is hope. Hope that God's mercy can reach even you. Now in verse 6, it says that the Lord your God, 
Moses says, will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. That's a good thing, by the way. So that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you. And you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I command you today. The Lord your God will make you an abundantly prosperous I'll make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers. When you obey the voice of the Lord your God, to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in the book of this law, when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. See, what we are talking about, this whole um, tipping point process, it's God's work. God tips the scales for us. He's the one who does a work in our hearts, even when we have strayed to a far and distant land, far from the life he has for us. It's, it's always hard for me to sort out what's God's part and what's my part. You know, um, It's complicated. They're all tangled up together. And they are here too. God does this, we do this. You know, God circumcises our heart, but we turn back to him with all our hearts. They're, they're all interwoven. But what, what is always evident to me is that God's part has preeminence. He makes the first move. He's the rescuer. He's the one who makes my heart love him again. And that's why we have hope. No matter where we are. Because it's not on me. It's in God's good, merciful, powerful hands. Um, but clearly, I am to respond. I have the responsibility of response. I am to obey his voice, keep his commands, turn to him with all my heart and soul. But it is a response. It is a welcoming and an embracing of what God is doing in my heart. This morning. Are you aware of the Spirit of God prompting and calling you back to God in the areas where you have strayed? Can you sense that? Are you aware of that? Can you hear it in these words? Could it be that He is calling out to you this morning? That this was all set up for you to call you back, to give you hope, to rescue you, to set you free. Will you welcome that this morning? Will you embrace it? Will you turn to the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul this morning? Deuteronomy says, you have not fallen too far. There's hope for us. No matter where you are this morning or how long you've been there. And it can be done. It's not impossible what God is asking of you. Uh, look at verses 11 through 14. It says, for this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us? That we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. 
But the word is very near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. So that you can do it. To respond to God's grace with obedience this morning is not too hard for you. God's not asking you something that can't be done by his grace. Moses is reassuring the people that, and he's reassuring us. It is not beyond us. It is not out of our reach. It's not some distant, high, unreachable heaven or beyond some great spreading sea. These images evoke some of the pagan um, gods and rituals of the day where people would go on these great lifelong quests for the meaning of life. Not necessary, Moses is saying. It's in my words. It's in that book you hold in your lap. By God's grace and power, you have what you need to know. You can do it. God has given you his word for that reason, so you can do it. He empowers us by his spirit to do it. Paul helps us when we think about obeying all these commands. He kind of distills it down to one great thing in Romans 13. He says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. If you want to keep these commands, then love your neighbor, love your spouse, love your children. Love your parents. Love the lady who cuts your hair. The guy who waits on you at your local restaurant. And especially, love that girl who works in the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A. Okay? This is what God asks of us. Love one another. He says, this is not beyond you by my mercy and my grace. Another reason to have hope is that it's not impossible for us. We can do what God is asking of us. By his grace, this ship can be turned around. An essential ingredient in a spiritual tipping point is hope. Hope in God's mercy, hope in his word to us, that the way is known to us, and by his mercy we can do this. We can leave this room changed. We can walk out of here and begin to obey again. But the other thing Moses underscores is that a tipping point really starts with a choice. Um, the whole book's building up to these verses, these next five verses. Listen closely to them in verse 15. See, Moses says, I have set before you today life and good, death, and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of. But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, 
I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. So the entire book of Deuteronomy really is leading them to this moment, this choice. Which will you choose? Life and good, death and evil. And honestly, is that not the biggest no-brainer you've ever been faced with? Who's going to say, ooh, 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 death and evil, death and evil? Nobody says that. Okay, nobody in their right mind says that. Um, I mean, who says to themselves, I'm going to eat the better part of a carton of ice cream every night for the next year and gain 40 pounds. Yeah, I'm going to do that. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to be. Who, nobody says that knowingly, thinking clearly. Yeah, 40 pounds look really good right about here. <laughs> nobody does that. Who says, I'm going to spend every evening of my life for the next decade or so watching really bad cable programming. You know, reality shows, um, big love, <laughs> cooking shows, idolatrous shows. I'm just going to watch them all. While my kids grow up without me and my marriage grows cold. Yeah, that's what I want. That's the life I want. Nobody makes that choice knowingly. But God's people made that choice. God's people still make those choices, don't we? Don't we? See, that's, that's how temptation works. It's sneaky. It's covert. It's deceptive. It's ensnaring. It's confusing. And in the moment, we make really stupid, bad choices. We choose death and evil over good in life. In Deuteronomy 30, Moses is urging the people to make a pre-tempted choice. Not a choice when you're standing in front of the freezer with the door open, not when you're sitting on the couch with the remote in your hand, but a pre-tempted choice. To choose good and life. Before the slippery slope, away from the hidden snare and the tall grass. Choose today, Moses says, choose life. Choose the good ways of God for you once again. So will you today right here in this room, clothed and in your right mind, 
away from the insanity of those temptations, will you say yes to God? He is your life. Infinitely more than those other things you're dabbling in. Will you say yes to the working of his spirit? Some of you can sense it. It's as though God is speaking to you. Like I've been following you around all week. God in love has. He has been following you since your first step in that land. Just readying you for this moment so you would say yes to life and good, to God's ways, to God himself. So if you hear God's invitation today, don't turn away. This could be your tipping point. And be real clear, choice is not all there is. You're not going to make a choice now and you're going to walk out of here and you're going to be perfect. You're never going to be tempted. You're never going to fall. You're never going to... No, but, but the life that God has for you starts with a choice. That's what starts the tip. And then that choice must be protected and strengthened and enhanced and expanded and cherished and fed. All the things that the community of the church does together. It's what we do for each other. But a choice has to be made. It's where things begin to tip. And so today I want to challenge you. I want to ask you. I want to invite you to say yes to the one who loves you and is pursuing you. Doing that heart transforming work. Helping you be free. It says in verse 6, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Jeremiah would pick up on this years later and he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I, for, I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. That work, that heart-changing work that Moses wrote about and Jeremiah talked about is the new covenant that Jesus is talking about when he says, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. It's through the death and resurrection of Jesus that our iniquities are forgiven and our sins are remembered no more. 
Paul says he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Christ died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And so today we come to this table to remember, to remember that our hope is in the great work of God on our behalf. Jesus' life and death and resurrection. That's our hope. We remember that. We cherish that. But today, let this, let this coming to the table also be your yes to the prompting of the Spirit in your life right now. You know where you've been wayward. And you hear God's invitation. Now, come to the table and say, yes, God, I want to be free. Yes, God, I want to I be restored to you. I confess my sin. And I say, yes, I want to choose you again. I want to walk with you again. Bow with me in prayer, would you? So, Father, here we are. The neediest people on earth, desperate for you. Carrying around all kinds of embarrassing, shameful, painful, hated things. And now eager to say yes to the great work of Christ on our behalf. He who rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us in the kingdom of light. He who died for us that we might no longer live for ourselves but live for him who died for us and was raised. Father, some of us, we've been away so long, we can barely get the yes out. Increase our faith. And some of us keep saying yes and keep falling back and keep falling, saying yes and keep falling back. And we feel like a hypocrite and we don't want to say yes anymore. We know that in our yes is our only hope. Say yes to Christ, yes to his work on our behalf, yes to the good news of a sin burial for us. And so, Lord, as, as we come to this table today, lavish your mercy on us, restore us wholly to you, pour out your spirit on us that we might walk in his power from this place. We want to meet with you at this table and worship you and find mercy in our great need. So we remember that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, it's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the meal, he took the cup and he said, this, this cup is the new covenant in my blood for the remission of sins. Do this also 